it's not always not always easy to adjust to those sort of um, those sort of things. Yeah, well, man, you're brilliant. You've already gotten the interview going, and and we didn't even start, so. You're made for TV inter- and commentary. <laughs> <I've laughs> interview mode. Oh, no, yeah. It's probably not what you want, is it? You, you'd rather have no. to, uh, it's, it's brilliant, and it, it's brilliant. In fact, I'll probably edit that in at some point. Well, if that soundbite is any indication, I think you're going to enjoy the podcast today. Hello, everyone. This is Rev Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. This week is part one of a recorded interview with Steve Guppy. Steve's the assistant coach for Nashville SC, and we developed a special friendship when he coached here in Colorado and in the years that have followed since. Thanks for joining us today, and I just want to take a minute and ask you, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you take a moment, give us a rating, maybe write a review for us? That would be much appreciated. And if you have feedback for us, we'd love to hear that too. Maybe there's a topic or a guest, maybe maybe like a 15-minute pod or something a little bit longer. We'd love to hear from you, and you can shoot us an email at podcast at soccerchaplainsunited.org. That's podcast at soccerchaplainsunited.org. Well, without further ado, Steve and I are going to get running on the wings right after this. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have... He has the hat-trick, the second in his career, the third of the night, the hat-trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! Well, hello everyone, Rip Brad here from the Touchline with my special friend and guest, Steve Guppy. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Steve, uh, your assistant coach for Nashville FC Football Club. You guys are in your inaugural season here in Major League Soccer here in the United States. And Steve, I just want to take a minute and go through your amazing pedigree. I say amazing because, you know, I'm just a rev. So, uh, And I know sometimes I might get these things wrong, but I just want to touch on some highlights of your, your playing career and, and then kind of dive in, no, no pun intended there with the dive, um, but you can correct me on anything that I, you know, if I don't get it right or if I miss a key, a key highlight, you just, you speak up. All right. Well, so if I can remember, it was yet yeah, going <laughs> It was so long ago, right? It was, it was. So you started in 1989, which for some kids, they weren't even born then, but you started in 89 with Wickham Wanderers and mm-hmm. you played what, 19, 20 years. Uh, which yep. is a long, long career. Uh, I think I I read somewhere over 550 games. You scored 50 goals or so in that career. Is is that? Am I accurate? Am I on track with that? I I I, I don't know the honest truth, but it sounds about right. I should have scored more. There you go. But uh, <laughs> I, I was more into setting them up. I was, I was just not, you know, me, Brad. I'm not selfish. Yeah. Well, again, Steve, we, we really love the truth here on, on the touchline. Um, and so appreciate your humility and humbleness there. Um, so <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> you played, you only exaggerate about fish, right? <laughs> well, catching fish, let, let's, uh, let's make sure the viewers understand exactly what you're saying there. But yes, catch a, like all good fishermen or all fishermen, you always exaggerate about the size of your fish. There you go. 
Exactly. Well, you you said catching fish, and I was going to point out that uh, we might want to clarify that that's actually catching and size, but we'll we'll get into that later. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good um, point. Steve, you you played mostly for Wanderers, but you played a ton of games for Leicester City and Port Vale. Um, you spent four seasons with Scottish football giants Celtic, and uh, toward the end of your career, you you came over here and played in the U.S. for DC United and a well-known Rochester Rhinos team. So that's kind of like some of the touch point highlights that uh, you know I I knew about some of those things. In fact, I remember what what were the years you played for DC? Do you do you recall what season? I think two thousand and two thousand and six. Um, I was I was there two thousand six. Pretty sure. Um, yeah. Really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I think I had been serving the Rapids as a as a volunteer chaplain for about four seasons, and. And I re- recall still kind of in that that time of the league, um, around that time was really, man, if, if a if a club got a an, an Englishman uh, coming over or someone that had played in the Premier League or you know had played high level football, it was still a really a really powerful thing. Like teams just kind of still were, and and maybe even today still still kind of looking for that. I know the league's kind of gone younger and they're scouting, but. Um, yeah, I, I just remember DC United having this Englishman playing uh, on the wings for him, and uh, and and see, reading your name a few times in in the lineups, and uh, thinking, wow, you know, can we get a, an Englishman here in Colorado? But um, anyway, along the way, you've you've collected some key memories, moments, some special honors and awards, and we'll get into some of those things a bit. But um, I mean, do you ever go onto Wikipedia and like look at your awards your career your achievement do you have to like correct that or amend that or you just let other people just kind of recall and recount all those things well it's funny you should mention wikipedia because a few years ago apparently there is another steve goupe who lives in cornwall down on the south coast of england and he's a manager of a sunday morning team down there um like lower league thing and I don't know if it's him or one of his friends. They just think it's absolutely hilarious if they update my Wikipedia from time to time and put in the fact <laughs> that I'm now a manager down in Cornwall. So um, not that it bothers me, but my, I remember my wife, for whatever reason, someone said, mentioned it, and we had a look. And um, sure enough, there it was, you know, did this, did that, whatever. And then towards the end of my career, I find myself down in Cornwall, um, <laughs> which obviously isn't true. So uh, we had a little period where I, um, my wife was changing it, and then they would change it back a week later. So we're going back and forth for ages. I've given up now. So um, <laughs> I have no idea if I'm if I'm still fighting uh, down in the lower leagues of Cornwall or not. So, um, but well, uh, listen, it was it was a fantastic period of my life, and and you know, and uh, you know, I, I don't need Wikipedia to remind me of uh, of some of the moments. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh maybe proof that you can manage her in your sleep. Um but uh wow, Cornwall <laughs> Cornwall's added added to the list. We'll we'll need some uh what I think Wikipedia calls it disambiguation or whatever it's called. But but Stephen, you had to go through that playing career and maybe give us three highlights. I'll let you pick, but you know, maybe best goal or favorite win game or or your favorite memory, maybe a favorite personal or team achievement. Like if you had to drill it down, distill it down to three highlights, uh, where would you go? Um, well, 
I think, I mean, as you were explaining my career, I mean, 1989, I signed for Wickham Wanderers, and Wickham Wanderers were in the, the Vauxhall Conference at the time. I mean, they're, they're in the championship now, which is amazing. But they were the Vauxhall Conference. Which people might not realise that. That means you're non-league, so you're part-time. So you're not a professional mm. footballer, you're semi-professional. Um, mm. I'm not sure what would be the equivalent um, in this country. But um, anyway, um, so at that point, I was... 19 years old um, and you know I'm not actually the story of becoming a professional footballer is um, you know is, is, is completely for me was a lot different to most others um, you know I left school I didn't go into um, an apprenticeship at a, at a football club like you know most people would have done um, no one wanted me <laughs> the honest truth so um, I went on a building site for a few years and became a qualified bricklayer and things like that um, but I always harboured this dream. So, um, you know, and through practice and this, that and the other, I managed to uh, find myself at Wickham Wanderers, which, to be honest, is incredible. From 16 to 18, I did not kick a football. Um, just not not at all. Not, not, I promise not you. The garden. I don't remember kicking it for two years. I went fishing a lot. Um, <laughs> I caught a lot of fish. But uh, I... I left school and I think I was the smallest kid in my year when I left school. Um, and um, I just was such a late developer and it affected my confidence. And, you know, and although I had the skill to beat players, I couldn't get away from them because I was so slow, because I was so small and, and everyone shot up. Um, and it happens a lot, you know, and I think that most academy directors will, will recognize there's a player in their team who's, who's going through the same sort of thing. And that was me. So um, two years, didn't kick a ball. Then I shot up into the impressive frame you see before you today. Um, and, um, you know, and with it came speed, confidence, bloody, bloody, blah. So, you know, I started playing football again with my mates on a, at 18, um, just pub football, you know, lower, lower league, just for fun. And quickly found myself within a year at Wickham Wonders in the conference. So I just had to explain that. So the, the reason um, Wickham would be my first... Um, major memory is the night we beat um, a team called Roncorn so we beat them 4-5-1 um, I actually scored a goal when I ran the length of the pitch, probably my best ever goal length of the pitch and then chipped the goalie I'll just throw that in um, but that night we won the league um, and we won the league which meant that we went into League 2 which meant we, we became professional footballers and that was a, wow. a dream that obviously I'd had from the age of 6-7 Obviously, thought had gone at 16, 17, 18 when I'm kicking myself, you know, just kicking my heels on a building site, doing something that I hated doing. Um, so for that to come along and become a professional footballer um, that night when we all signed professional forms was um, just an amazing, amazing uh, feeling. And it was just a real, hopefully, well, thankfully for me, that was just the start of the journey. So there's your first one. Um, and I have to say, a couple of weeks later, we got to a cup final as well. And we played at Wembley. Um, and, and Wembley, in, you know, is obviously the mecca in English football, the, the stadium, um, the old Wembley. And it was one of those few moments when you dream as a kid to walking out or walking up through the tunnel onto the pitch at Wembley. It's like a thing that, you know, cup finals, they always film it. It's a big thing in England. And, um, and I got to do it a few weeks later after turning wow. pro there. Wow. And um, it was one of the few moments, Rev, when um, a few moments in life where it's every bit as good as you hoped it would be. Um, and it was, it was just a magical moment to walk up them 
and you know there's that tunnel and then the crowd see you and you don't the the, the noise that comes when the crowd see you, you can see the flags show, you know waving and whatever and it's like a wall of sound that hits you as you come up um and that was that was phenomenal you know and that was that was fantastic so uh wow. so anyway um wow. i'm probably going on a bit much here so um, no so I, was, I mean uh, it's brilliant yeah so that was my first one. <laughs> so I've got another two to get in here. <laughs> but um, listen, I'm always talking about other players, so you can listen to me for once. So um, second one, it was signing for Leicester City. Um, you know, you sign him for a team who were in the Premiership. You know, I was playing at Port Vale in the Championship, which was great, a great education, very good standard. But the Premiership, you know, you know, the EPL, as you guys call it, was was obviously the dream, and the, you know, where everyone was striving to get there. Um, funny enough, I was, I was I was at Port Vale, and I got a phone call, and I knew I was doing well, and I knew there was Leicester City had made a few bids, and they'd been knocked back, and it was a nervy time. Um, and the manager at Leicester City, Martin O'Neill, rang me up, which he probably shouldn't have done, and said, "Look, I've made a final bid for you. I think it was about a million pounds. So, um, you know, because this is as far as I'm going. I'm not going to bid any more for you. If if Port Vale say no, um, I'm going to go and sign a lad up in Glasgow somewhere, some Scottish team." So he told me that. So he goes, I'll know by first thing tomorrow morning. So uh, needless to say, that night, I, uh, I didn't sleep, sleep very well at all. Um, and uh, I didn't have many fingernails left come the morning. But 7 o'clock. <laughs> true, it's incredible, incredible. So that night, I was just chewing on it because I thought, if they turn this bid down, that's it. My premiership dream's over. Um, luckily for me, 7 o'clock in the morning, Port Vale manager rang me up, said, Lou, we've accepted the bid, bloody blah. So, um, you know, that was, that was great. Um, playing in the Premiership <clears throat> was just incredible. And funny enough, I scored my first goal. I nearly went with that. First goal against Tottenham. You know, I think when you score a goal, you're playing in the Premiership, you want to do well, blah, blah, blah. But when you score your first goal in the Premiership, you feel like you kind of arrived a little bit, you know, in your own yeah. mind. Um, yeah. Funny enough, I scored my first and my last goals um, in the Premiership against Tottenham. So, uh I think, um, you know, I can't think of a, a better club to do it against, really, I suppose. Yeah, so right. That was number two. <laughs> and, the, and the third one, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. The third one was playing, playing for your country, playing for, playing for England. Um, and now I have to say that um, this, going back to, you know, what a massive influence my dad was throughout this whole, you know, my whole career, um, raging from back in a, in, a, in a back garden, five, six years old, we used to you know, just get me to drop my shoulder and burst past him, you know, rather than just shooting. He was all about taking players on because he played with a great player when he was playing called Terry Payne. He was a winger. Um, mm. And in fairness, you know, you know, me as a coach, that's something that I've, you know, I've, I've taken on um, in my coaching. So when I played for England, what we do, you know, you, you never, we never have the national anthem before any game, the premiership or anything. I know, I know over over here that's every game. You only get the national anthem when you play for your country. That's the only time you get it, or cup final. So um, I remember when I played for England, we played against Belgium. Uh, we were lined up there um, playing the national anthem. And I looked up in the crowd and I saw my dad, um, mm. which was just um, you know a, a lovely moment. And, you know, and you think you're going to get emotional, you're not. And we end up looking at each other and we, we burst out laughing. You know, from a distance away, obviously, he's in the crowd. I mean, sure, I sure. stood up on the pitch. And we just laughed. It was, it was almost like, can we believe it's come to this? 
you know, after wow. all those all those years in the back garden and uh, tantrums and goodness knows what else, you know, what kids are like. But all the all the driving, he drove me all around the country, followed me everywhere. Um, and to get to play for England, you know, I cherish those moments, not for playing for England, but for for um for how how he must have felt, you know, as you know, you know, I lost him last year. So it's it's really nice to look back on those memories. And it's not always about football. It was just the fact that, you know, you knew that it would have, you know, as a parent now, you know, something like that must have been fantastic for him. And so um um you know I'm really pleased that happened. What a what a proud moment for him, and and just to. Yeah, to go back for a moment, back to those special father-son moments when, when you get to share that that special thing together, that that football and and uh, wow, what what a neat moment and awesome that you guys could connect and ca- catch eyes and uh, and and share in that uh, special time together. That's uh, that's a wonderful story, Steve. Appreciate that. No, thank I appreciate you. Appreciate that. It was, it was- no problem. I mean, and it was it was funny in that we didn't, you know, we just burst out laughing, you know, which was which is some nice comedy to it as well. But exactly, I think I think sometimes we get we get roped up in in, in got to win, got to this, got to do that. But but when actually when you look back on your career, a lot of the moments you remain, you know, you remember fondly, not necessarily the wins or this. It's it's those those moments when you connect with with a loved one, I guess, and you know, and, and for me. Obviously, such a poignant moment, having you know, considering what's happened in the last year or so, with with losing, you know, losing him, you know. So, um, yep, fantastic memories. Thanks, thanks for you know asking me to uh, you know, and now I get a chance to uh, to relive it in my mind again. Yeah, so you, you put out a name there, uh, Terry Payne, uh, kind of as as someone that your father had played against, and 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 mm. probably was was trying to teach you and coach you and and you're known as a winger in football and and I can just imagine that some of the folks listening to the podcast today not sure what a winger is uh I, I've I've got some American folks who are still kind of figuring out what what soccer and football are but just give yep. us a simple breakdown like what what is a winger what does a winger do was was that kind of your primary position throughout your entire career or was that something you grew into um tell us more about that yeah i, I mean a winger is i guess it is what it sounds like you you're out out wide you know uh you're you're on the extremities of the pitch i was a left winger because i was left footed so i was out wide uh you know i used to call it the graveyard shift because you, you you're nearest to the fans um which mm. is great when you're playing well but when you're not playing well you can hear everything <laughs> So, um, you know, if, if, as would normally happen, if I wasn't playing very well, you'd find me drifting more and more in field. But, um, <laughs> but out, out wide is, is good because uh, I never used to head and, or tackle anyone. Heads, I managed to survive playing for 20 years. Um, but, you know, I think predominantly you're out there. It's, it's a demanding role physically. You've got to get up and down the whole pitch um, during the game. Um, but you're, you know, one of your main thoughts or ideas really is your supply line out there. You, you get the ball, you try and beat players, try and make things happen, get crosses in the box for the centre forwards to try and score. So, you know, you're a creator. That's um, that's the way I like to look at it. And, you know, you talked about um, just the uniqueness of being out on the left side. You're close to the fans. You're you're getting hurled abuse when you're uh, not doing well. You're you're they're singing your praises when you're doing great. 
and, and just looking to become that, uh, yeah, that, that dynamic uh, threat as you get down, get up and down the field. Uh, any other key things that, that you think th- this is part of the role that you, you just, it maybe, maybe you're telling a, a young lad like, or a, a young gal, like, Hey, when you're, when you take on the left-sided position, this is, you've got to know these things. These, these are critical to the, to the position. Well, I, I think, you know, I think the hardest thing in the game is to score a goal. There is no doubt. The second hardest thing after that is to create. Um, and and, and, and in, in amongst that is to beat a player. And that's why you don't see many, many people do it. Um, you know, it's very hard to do and it. And it fascinates me. It always did do. And, um, you know, as a player, that's something that I, I you know, I was really fortunate, you know, referenced my dad again, that he got me to just little, little bit, you know, a body shape, little drop of the shoulder. People know what that means, you know, a shimmy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you see that in all sorts of sports. American football as well, with a wide receiver, I suppose, very similar roles to, to yeah. the winger. Yeah. You know, he's, he's there, shimmy to get away from his, his marker. Um, and, and it's no different in soccer. So, you know, that's something that, fascinated me um, and, I, and I worked out a lot to try and sh- get that shimmy to get a yard and then and then cross the ball um, and that's something I really try and bring to the players I coach now and you know I'm really into position specific coaching and trying to get players to become better more comfortable and actually look for actively search out 1v1 moments on the pitch because I know you know anyone watches any soccer game Games are decided regularly on one v one moments. So if you become better at them, um, then then chances are you know you might get that extra goal, that extra chance that you wouldn't have got if you hadn't worked at it. Right, right. So what what would you say is a good standard in terms of just? I mean, if you're scouting, if you're looking for someone to come in to Nashville or one of the other clubs, one of the other places you're managing, and you're looking at the work rate. Uh, the speed, the sort, the sort of, the distance and ground a wing player has to cover. Like, is are there some metrics for you that you're like, hey, this person needs to, you know, have a, a certain level of quickness, a certain ability. Like, what what are some of those things you look for in in a in a wing player? Yeah, I, mean, I think athleticism is is a key part of the role. Because, like I said, you've got to get up and down. So you know, you've got to be a good athlete, um, but. You know, I think when I want to scout players, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at players, I'm looking to see what their weapons are. What can they do? What can they do that others can't? What do they do better than most? You know, whether they've got a really great left foot, um, you know, could that be something that, that, that would really help the team? You know, are they just simply great athletes and get up and down? So, you know, they bring that to the team. You know, they, you know, they're constant nonstop movement or, or they're great at beating players. Are they skillful? But I think, you know, to to really play the role correctly, you, you need a combination of all those things. You, you know, and and they're obviously really difficult to get hold of because the chances are they're playing in the top leagues around the world. If you can get that, but you know, a young player, any advice to any young young winger out there is to is to really concentrate on on your one v ones. You know, try and get better at beating players because then you're starting to create a, a weapon. You know, something that you can bring to the table that's different, but. You know, I think a common mistake some young players make is that if they're really skillful, they forget to do the, the spade work behind them of, of, of getting back in and, and, and tracking back and all the rest of it. Whereas really, 
you know, in this day and age, you need to bring the full package. You know, you need to be a team player. But at the same time, if you've got that little something extra, you can bring that little bit of magic in the final third, unlock a door with a little, I say, a little shimmy and a, and a cross or a shot, then, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll go places. Yeah, that, oh, that's, that's brilliant. And, and so help, help me, Steve, because sometimes I'm watching uh, a footballer, especially left-footed players, and being a right foot dominant player person myself, like sometimes I just go, just, just, just take a touch with your right foot. But, but help me understand that. Is it, is it because they're so focused and, and left footed players? I mean, I think a lot of people, if you understand the game of football, you know that a left footed player is, is special and dangerous. But, um, like I know some of my, some of the others may be sitting out listening to the podcast or, watching a, a match and going, why doesn't this person just use their other foot? Uh, it, it, help me help, help us understand that a little bit better. Is that, um, is that just because they, they're so honed in to that left, left foot that, uh, they, they just don't want to risk, uh, bobbling up or, or passing the ball away at the right or, or having a bad touch or, or what is that? Why, why won't they just take, take that just little extra touch with the right foot? Well, I think I think you got to. I mean, you got to remember the, the, the pressure the players are under. You know, if you think about it, I know the way life is at the minute. There's no fans, but if you if you are out wide and the ball gets switched to you, and there's maybe twenty, thirty thousand watching you, you know, and you're predominantly left-footed, you know, you're going to be leaning towards wanting to be on your favourite mm-hmm. foot. You know, of course, you get two-foot players, and and um, I certainly wasn't one of them. My right foot wasn't the best which is, you know, on me, I should have been better at it. So I think players work at it. It's funny you should say that because I think it's more in this day and age, you get more players cutting in on their weaker foot because it's easier. Um, Mm. They cut inside rather than go down the line, you know, whereas really and truly we try and coach the players at Nashville to go where the space is. If the space is down the line, then try and work an angle, try and work something to get down there. You know, if you come inside, but the modern-day winger nowadays, a lot, a lot of the times, if you're left-footed, they play on the right wing, and right-footed, they play on the left wing, because you can cut in and then be on your favourite foot. But to me, of course, I understand that it can be effective, but I still, I still love, I love to see a winger go down the line, get to the bar line, and, and just hang across up to the far post. You know, if you think of. Um, the times at Colorado when, you know, Connor Casey was there, oh my, you know, I think it's, it's a hard across defend if you're a defender because you can't see what's behind you. Whereas if you cut in, sometimes you can see the forward in front of you as well as the ball. Um, yeah, I just think they're, they're the crosses that really, you know, do the most damage. Nice. Nice. Well, so as a player, you are known for what's been described as a, a trademark cross in from the left wing. Um, tell us more about, like, I mean, did, did they give you a, a name? Uh, did, did they name your trademark cross? Like, is it, do you have a, a, a little nickname out there for the, the Steve Shimmy or the, like, uh, what is, what is some of the more signature parts of your game? Unless, unless you can't disclose that right now, uh, unless that's still under patent well, pending no. kind of law. <laughs> Well, exactly. I mean, I'm, I did have a few nicknames, but I don't think I can share them with you on this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that yeah. was it is more, a family podcast. Poor, poor performance. Yeah, that's one of my poor performances. Um, that uh, I managed to uh, get a few nicknames, like, mainly by the crowd, which were uh, 
completely unfair, I might add. But um, no, I mean, not really, Brad. I mean, one of the nice things about living in America is that hardly anyone saw me play, so I can tell everyone I was really good, and no one knows. So, you know, that, that's well, one of the nice th- things about living there there. is. There is YouTube, and uh, we we can go we can go searching. Uh, in fact, I think I have seen uh, a highlight reel somewhere of you whipping in crosses. But you know, you know, sometimes, and, and again, I'm a rev, right? I'm not a coach. I, I don't have great eyes for the game. I've seen a lot, but uh, it seems to me that sometimes a, a winger will have maybe a favorite um, spot on the pitch where they like to serve the ball in, or you know, like you said. Do they, do they get all the way to the end line and serve it in? Do they do they serve it in, you know, 18-yard extended line, you know? Like, was there anything like that for you where you're like, or or you just waited until you felt, yeah, yeah, the defender's backed off now or uh, goalkeeper's off his line? Like, wh- what parts for you kind of made you instinctively know now's the time to serve that ball in? What What was that for you? Well, I think I think I was as a, as a, I've got quite an obsessive nature, and I I used to practice. And I was telling one of the players today, funny enough, I used to practice crossing every day. I used to try and make sure I crossed a hundred crosses every day, if I could. Um, and so it just became a habit, and it was more. I wasn't really like lightning quick, so it was more about a little bit of a shimmy, get a yard and cross, and that was that was my game. You know, it was really putting the defender off balance, create the yard, and then and then get the ball in there, and make, you know, and, and make sure I I missed the first defender, um, which too many people you know hit the first defender, um, you know, and try and get it in there um, to give the forward the best chance to to attack it. So that that was the plan. Didn't always come off, of course, but um, but I, I I did try, and once again, to any young viewers out there, I did try and. You know, make it habit. The thing about trying to beat a player, Brad, is it? I think most people, if you give them a ball and you said do a little shimmy, they can do it. Um, if they have a nice run up at a defender, they could do it. But the trick is, is to be able to do it without realising you're doing it. So you get the ball, mm. defenders on top, and you just do it without even thinking about it. When you can do or move, maneuver your body in such a way without realising you're doing it, then you're a player. You know, and mm. and. And that takes thousands and thousands of reps. And that, that was something I always strive to do, you know, is, is these hundred of crosses. I normally, you know, did that with some sort of shimmy to, to begin with, just because I knew that, you know, my dad drilled into me from an early age that you have to do it without realizing you're doing it. Um, cause there's one less thing to worry about then. You can just concentrate on the cross. So I think that would, um, sum me up, I, I guess, is that I just tried to get that yard and get the cross in as early as I could. So manager Kevin Keegan, managing the England national team, has been quoted as saying that you're a little bit like a left-sided David Beckham. Um, to my not mm-hmm. like, right, we, everybody in the U.S. knows the film Bend It Like Beckham. Maybe there's a film out there we don't know about, mm-hmm. Shimmy Like Steve. But um, <laughs> tell us, uh, <laughs> uh, tell us what, what Keegan's saying there, like this, this little bit of left side, and, you know, Tell us more about this Beckham, this Beckham reference. Well, I think, I mean, David Beckham was a fantastic player. I mean, he obviously reached the very, very heights. Um, the few years I was 
play in the same time as David when he was at Manchester United. Is our crossing styles are similar um, in a, of what I've just explained about getting a yard and crossing it. Um, and, and they have these stats where they, you know, pass completion, cross completion, assists, um, and things like that. So I think the Carlin Opta stats, they called them. Um, so for mm-hmm. a few years, mm-hmm. I think it was, it was me and, um, or David and I who, uh, were fighting it out for the most assists and things like that, who got the most crosses in, um, so that was that was nice. That was um, you know a nice little thing. But obviously he he actually then you know developed his game, moved inside more, and uh, you know added a lot of goals and passing, and you know went to another level. But just for a couple of years there, we were we were having a little bit of a competition on the, on the crossing front. So so had you and David ever like squared off in the in the same match where like here's a test between us. That you can recall. Well, I don't think. I mean, I, I say, yeah. I mean, we've only played against. I mean, I was. I thing is, I, I used to play at Leicester City as a wing back, so which is a you know a, a bit of a hybrid of a full back and a winger all in one role. Whereas Manchester United, when we used to play against Man United, they were more of a four four two. So you know, David Beckham was a right winger. I'd be marking him, but then he'd add the full back Gary Neville more for the not. Who, um, so it was slightly different, and obviously Manchester United were very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, played against David, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, plenty of times. So um, I got to see firsthand how how good he was. So, so I'm thinking with David now owning Miami and and you being in Nashville. I mean, can we set up something and like have you guys go at it again and just like do some ten point crosses? I this could be a thing, right? I I think I just. Brilliant stroke right here. Yeah. I'm just a rev though. So forgive me. Forgive me. Maybe that's. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think David Beckham probably owns about one to 2 million every minute. And, um, I, I'm not sure he's going to find the time for, uh, for me to, uh, to have some sort of cross off here. I, I get where you're coming from, but, uh, I think he's got a far bigger fish, fish to fry right now. No pun intended. <laughs> Yeah, I I get you, but hey, you know who knows? Maybe maybe a rev could put a phone call in. We'll we'll see if we can line it up. So, <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to press pause on the conversation right there, and uh, just let you know next week it gets even better. We've got uh, a great little skills game that Steve and I are gonna play, and you can hear the rest of the interview next week, next Wednesday, when Steve Guppy and I come to you from the touchline. <laughs>